Hewler and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. What's going on, Steelers Nation Radio? High noon on a Monday afternoon. That could only mean one thing. It's time to go inside the electric factory for the next two hours here on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Wesley Euler in for Arthur Motes. Today, we've got our good buddy Adam Crowley on this beautiful Monday. And folks, I mean, you already know the drill here, all right? Motsy might not be here, but let's get right to it because the train doesn't stop rolling just because Motsy isn't here. It's not just any money. It's not just any Monday, pardon me, on the program here. Folks, your Pittsburgh Steelers, it was nerve-wracking at times, but a win is a win is a win. And so it's not just any Monday. In the words of our good buddy, Johnny Drama, it is a victory Monday. Victory! And the Steelers move to 3-0. and So, Crowman, I start with this. 3-0 and for the first time in 10 years are the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's been some good, a lot of good. There's been some bad as well, too. Like I said, some anxious moments yesterday, certainly at Heinz Field. Uh, what's your optimism level with this Steelers team as they stand 3-0 and through three weeks? I don't know if you want to go on a scale of 1-10 to 10 or however you want to put it, but how are you feeling about this Steelers team as we sit here right now? I feel great. I don't know if this is a team that's going to win the division, but you're sitting here at 3-0. and There are seven playoff spots available. I think that they are in a really good position already, especially given how Mike Tomlin's teams tend to perform in October and November. Usually the Steelers start out of the gate slow, and then in October and November they get hot. They start, as Mike Tomlin says, stacking wins. Well, if you're sitting here at 3-0, and even if they lose to Tennessee next week, you're 3-1 and through the first quarter of the season. Now if you start stacking wins, you put yourself in a really good position for the playoffs. So I, I think they're in a good spot, and they kind of are who I thought they were, to quote Denny Green. <laughs> they're playing good defense more times than not. They're pretty much smack dab in the middle of the league offensively, and that has them in a really good position. It's kind of what I thought they'd be coming in. So I am looking at the Steelers through rose-colored glasses right now. I think the way to look at this team is with some optimistic eyes. I like how you talk about kind of how we know under Mike Tomlin, and it's a big sample size, right? I mean, he's been the bench boss for the Pittsburgh Steelers for well over a decade. Traditionally, the Steelers play their best football as the season goes along. If you break it down, right, 16-game NFL season, so even two WVU grads like us could do the math on this one, you know, four games is 25% of your season, right? You got four quarters of four games, if you will, if you break the season down into quarters. If you look at it that way per every four games, Mike Tomlin's win percentage gets better as the season goes along. If you break it down, like I said, into, into quadrants, his best win percentage as the head coach of the Steelers is in the last four games of the year, and I think that's a good thing, right? Obviously, you'd rather be playing your best football, like you just said, in November, in December, in crunch time as you're getting ready to roll into the postseason, as opposed to you know some teams in the past that we've seen that come out in September and light it up the first four or five weeks of the season and then they start to look worse and worse as the year goes along. I think that's a great call by you. If this is the starting point for the Steelers, I, I, I mean, I only expect them to get better as the season continues to roll along. 
Yeah, I think so too. I don't think they've played their best football. Far from it, probably. Ben Roethlisberger looks healthy. I think that's the most important thing. But he doesn't look totally right. Some of the fundamental footwork stuff isn't perfect. Some of the accuracy stuff isn't perfect. He overshot Chase Claypool on a long ball into the end zone yesterday. It might have been James Washington. He threw a ball not on target to Eric Ebron over the middle of the field. If Ebron had been able to catch it in stride, he'd still be running right now. So Ben's got to get better. But I expect him to get better because it doesn't look like a health issue to me. It just looks like a timing issue, Hmm. mechanical issues. And if Ben can be more the guy that he was in 2018, well, then the sky is the limit for this team. And they are absolutely a Super Bowl contender. If this is who Ben is, then I think that we're kind of seeing the Steelers' floor. If this is Ben Roethlisberger that we can expect the rest of 2020, then I still think this is a really good football team. I don't see them getting worse than they are right now. I think that's a good call. I, uh, I'm gonna go one. I'm gonna go two kind of different ways here with Ben, right? And and what you just hit on, and how if this is what he is right now, like this feels like their floor. They're only going to get more in sync. It seems like he's got that working with Chase Claypool pretty early here. Mm-hmm. So so that's kind of the, you know, if I'm going to look at maybe one optimistically and one, you know, not panicked or worried, but just a little concerned. I think you've got to be very optimistic through three games, no preseason, uh, uh, just a condensed offseason, what him and Chase Claypool have been able to do together. I think the other side of that coin where you're maybe a little concerned, and again, not panicked, not freaking out, you just you want to see it come together sooner rather than later. I think everybody knows where I'm going here. There's just been a disconnect with him and Deontay Johnson. Um, now, obviously, they didn't have much time to work together last year, too. That factors into this, I'm sure, as well, too. It's only Deontay's second year in the league, and he got six quarters of, of Ben Roethlisberger last year. But I think that plays into the whole kind of floor conversation that you were just saying there. Like, if he's already got this chemistry with Claypool, and him and Juju are, are looking like they're, they're getting it back grooving, too. And, I mean, look at Ebron, what they've been able to accomplish so far here through three games. Vance McDonald getting more involved in the offense in the past game yesterday as well, too. I think it's fair to be, you know, uh, uh, like I said, just a little concerned about the slow start with Deontay, but I'm still going to look at that glass half full in the sense of, okay, this is the floor, and it's only going to get better from here. Well, yeah, because consider Deontay Johnson's been targeted more than any player on the team, at least he was through two games. He also led the team in catches. So if they weren't on the same page, and I agree with you that they weren't, Things are just going to get better there. They're able to run the football, though, man. This is something that is massive for this team. You've heard me say on the show that I want to see the Steelers be more of a 60-40 pass-the-ball, run-the-ball. A 68% is what they threw the ball two years ago. That is Mike Leach stuff that is far too often. Well, this year the Steelers are running the ball 44% of the time. I love it, and if you look at their statistics running the football, they're doing a great job of it too, and we can talk about how last week the 59-yard run by James Conner was in garbage time, but you know what? That still counts, and it was in a crucial moment in the game where they were trying to put the thing away. The Steelers are averaging 4.7 yards per rush, 140 yards per game on the ground. They're the only team that has a 100-yard rusher in each of the first three games. They held the ball for 36 minutes yesterday. They used all of their backs yesterday, though I'll disagree with some of the time that they swapped the guys in and out. I think that this is huge, 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 huge moving forward for this team. 
I thought the defense last year in the final game of the season, they came apart because they were just absolutely gassed physically and mentally. I don't think that's going to happen if the Steelers are able to control the clock a little bit more the way that they have. Uh, and I think that this is sort of the recipe that I was hoping for this offseason. And at least through three games, it's really started to come to fruition. Yeah, I think that's a good call by you. Uh, for those unfamiliar, right, the show that Adam is talking about is his show, 4-7 to 7 on ESPN uh. Pittsburgh, the Crowley Show. And I should mention this, too. Obviously, get those tweets in. Uh, we'll answer them throughout the, sh- throughout the show, at Wesley Euler, at underscore Adam Crowley. Um, yeah, you, you and I, since 2018, um, that 68% number, right, that's a number that's stuck in our head over the last kind of, what, year and a half-ish here um, through last season into this year. That, that's too high. Now, I think a lot of people do this, you know, like I've seen people in Atlanta tweeting that, oh, well, you know, in his career, when Todd Gurley gets more than 25 carries, his team is like 24 and one. Well, yeah. Okay. Part of that is because he was getting fed the ball when his team was always in the lead like that. uh, So a lot of times some of these things can be a little misleading, but 68% running the ball is still 68% running the ball. That's over an entire season. That's a large sample size. I mean, that's, that's a full season in the National Football League, obviously. I don't think you and I were saying, oh, it's, it's got to be 50-50. I don't think we were saying anything like that. But, yeah, down closer to 60%. Um, and obviously, too, I think that, in a way, you could argue makes Ben more effective at the same time, right? Like, I think there was some of – a lot of what we saw in 2018, honestly, Adam, you know what? I was, I was reminded by that yesterday, watching that Seahawks-Cowboys game, where it's like the Seahawks can't stop the run. The Cowboys have arguably the best running back in the NFL, especially now with Saquon and Christian McCaffrey out. And they ran the ball 14 times. Like 14 times, and Dak Prescott threw the ball 57, 58 times, and I felt like I was watching like the 17, 18 Steelers. Like, like, what are you doing here? This defense is just ripe for the picking, and you have a fantastic running back. I think, again, it doesn't always have to be as dramatic as it's got to be an even split. And from game to game, like I said, alluding to that Todd Gurley stat, it can be different. There can be games maybe where Ben is throwing 67 68% of the time, but then there could also be games where maybe it's 58%, 59%, 61%, something like that. Obviously, you have to go with the flow of the game. But through three games, Adam, uh, three 100-yard rushing performances, uh, James or Benny Snell, and then back-to-back James Conner, um, and you did that too. We'll get into this a little bit more specifically later. The return of DeCastro. You know, you did that with the shuffling of the deck early with some injuries with your offensive line. Again, it feels like even with some of these concerns, this is the floor. Hopefully, you know, barring uh, significant injuries, it's only going to get better from here. Yeah, and I think that they showed exactly how much water they can take on and what might be enough to sink the boat, right? Like, I think they can get down to Dotson and feel comfortable with it. Uh, they can get down to Chooks to tackle and feel comfortable with it. Uh, I think it's if they had suffered one more injury at guard and had to get down to J.C. Hassenhauer, that's whenever you think, okay, we might not be good enough here. Hell, we even saw Gerald Hawkins a little bit yesterday as the tackle eligible. So I think the offensive line is deep, and I think that they're showing that they can pave the way in the running game if that is the way the Steelers want to go about their business. To your point about sort of being malleable, the Steelers last week ran the ball 71%, or excuse me, threw the ball 71% of the time. Uh, This week, it was almost a dead 50-50 split. So we've talked about this on the air, off the air. Wes, I don't remember, but... (laughs) Both. The Steelers are going to game plan for specific opponents. And we saw it this week. They ran the ball, and then they used the package plays, the RPOs, 
to sort of soften the box a little bit or to take what the defense was giving them. And that's something we haven't seen a whole bunch of through the first two weeks. So that was specific for Houston. That helps the running game. The running game helps that one hand washes the other. You're going to see Ebron some weeks. We had in the first two. You're going to see Vance McDonald some weeks. We had in the first two. Uh, you're going to see Juju Smith-Schuster. He scored two touchdowns in game one. Wasn't necessarily all that effective last week or utilized last week. He scores a touchdown in game three. The Steelers have the ability to attack defenses multiple ways, and that's a great thing to see. Um, I think that their identity is is showing that that's who they are that they can attack you a bunch of different ways. So I'm encouraged by the offense. They haven't been great. I don't know how they – I don't know if they need to be great. But would they score? 26 points on offense the first game, 24 points on offense the second game, 28 points the third game. That's the, that's the recipe. You're, you're going to win a hell of a lot of football games with this defense and even that offensive output, even if you're not blowing it into the 30s and they they could have by the way the last two weeks scored another touchdown well sure I mean they you know they they, yeah I was gonna say they they knelt down the clock in the red zone both times yeah and and that's the right thing to do obviously but if you're looking for more encouragement I I think that's important to note as well Uh, Adam Crowley with us here on the Steelers Blitz on this victory Monday you know what on this victory Monday one more time Johnny Get those tweets in at Wesley Euler at underscore Adam Crowley. Trenton tweets here. What do you think of the Steelers snapping their 25-game streak of committing a turnover? And is the NFC East the worst division in the NFL? Trenton, yes, uh, it is the worst division in the NFL. We'll do, <laughs> we'll do a little more around the league in the second hour. Uh, but, yeah, you know what? That's kind of a maybe uh, washed up in the Steelers going 3-0 and and the Watt brothers and and some of the, the good from the defense and, and the run game. Uh, maybe that was – one of the big storylines that was lost in this Crowley. Finally, that 25-game streak of committing a turnover is over. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, and, and I know that Mike Tomlin in the press conference last week said it's too early to start assigning trends to a team. I think it's very clear that the Steelers' biggest weakness is going to be their butterfingers. Uh, James Conner's been a fumbler in the past. Benny Snell has proven himself now over two seasons mm. to be a fumbler. Juju has fumbled in <laughs> crucial moments. Deontay, Deontay Johnson. Johnson I mean, he's the biggest defender of them all, uh, apart from Ben, who does throw the ball to the other team uh, quite a bit. I think that is their Achilles heel. I think that is probably ultimately what's going to bite them at some point this season. For them not to turn the ball over yesterday was huge because had they, Mm -hmm. that's probably all Deshaun Watson needs to get one more score to win the football game. This, again, is the recipe that I talked about all offseason. Run the ball a little bit more. You don't have to turn into the 70s Steelers, but run the ball a little bit more. Protect the football. Don't make Ben have to be Superman, force turnovers, and put the opposing team's quarterback on the ground. You don't need to be an offense that is always looking for the kill shot because sometimes when you're trying to do it to the opposition, you do it to yourself. I think that's huge yesterday, and it's a big reason they won the game. Adam Crowley in today for Arthur Motes. Keep those tweets rolling in. We're going to take our first break here on the other side. We've given glowing reviews of the defense so far, but there's some more minutia that we have to dive into. I thought Stephon Tuitt was frustrating at times yesterday until he started to take the game over. I thought the Steelers' secondary was maddening at times yesterday until they flipped the game around. So let's discuss some of that Jekyll and Hyde with the crowd man on the other side. Wesley Euler, Adam Crowley, you're listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR.
This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Having some fun on a victory Monday. we got the crowd man in for Arthur Motes today. we got those tweets rolling in. We will get to them in the second hour of the show. And maybe a little bit here as we roll along, of course. But plenty to react to from yesterday. The Steelers moving to 3-0 at Heinz Field with a victory against the Houston Texans. I want to talk a little bit about the defense here for a few minutes, Crow man. If, if you'll indulge me as such, uh, I thought there was, man, there was some frustrating, there was some <laughs> infuriating moments from the Steelers' defense. But when it mattered most, I thought they rose to the occasion like they always do. I'm still a little concerned about the secondary. Um, I still would like to see a little bit more from from Cam and from Tuit. I think, in the interior of that defensive line. I'm still a little worried that they are at times hemorrhaging a few too many yards. But they're making big plays when it counts, a lot of sacks, a lot of splash plays, a lot of rising to the occasion when the Steelers need it. And honestly, all those I think are, are really big kind of key indicators, checking the box, if you will, of of what it takes to be a good defense in, in the modern NFL in 2020. Yeah, I think everything you said is right, but it's also wrong. And here's what I mean by that. Like, <laughs> You say they're hemorrhaging yards, and if you just watch the Steelers and only the Steelers, and and that's not the case with you, I know that, and I'm just making an overall point. Yeah, they they they've given up big plays. They gave up the 41 yard touchdown to Darius Slayton in game number one. They gave up some big plays last week, and in the first half of this one, uh, they gave up three touchdown drives on the in, in the first half. And look, that's not good enough. However. That's when you're looking at the team in a vacuum. When you compare the team not to perfection, which is what I think that we're doing here, hmm. and you compare them to the rest of the league, then the Steelers are not hemorrhaging yards. They're second in total yards given up. They're fifth in points allowed. They're first against the run. They're ninth in takeaways. They're first in sacks. The one place they need to be better, and that's your your point, is against the pass where they're 12th, but even that's not horrendous. The defense looks, to me, from a statistical standpoint, to be the defense that I thought we'd see coming in. And while it hasn't been beautiful, like if the Steelers had given up three touchdowns over the course of the game yesterday to Houston's offense and to Deshaun Watson, who we all know is very good, we would have been like, oh, wow, that's a good defensive performance. Yeah, if the numbers points, look exactly we'll the that. same. Right. People would have said, wow, it was a great defensive performance. To me, it still was because I am going to look at the totality of the game. They weren't good enough in the first half, but they adjusted. They started to play more man coverage on the back end and rush four. It worked, and they got a turnover. They got Deshaun's ass on the ground five different times. To me, it's still a good defensive performance, and to me overall, it's a really good defense. I, I think you're going to get got by good quarterbacks sometimes, and Deshaun Watson showed yesterday in the first half why he's a top-five player in the game. I'm not overly concerned by what I saw from the defense. Have you ever thought about opening up a car dealership? I mean, you just, you, just, you just sold me. I mean, geez, that was a good job. I mean, open a car dealership, sell some health insurance. I think you got a bright future here, kid. No, that's you're right, because, I mean, you absolutely nail it there at the start. If I'm looking around the rest of the league, I mean, that's just uh, – uh, maybe I touched on at the end of my opening statement there. What we can 
label expect from a good and elite defense in 2020 is just different than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. Certainly, you know, in the in the days of yesteryear and the the old fogey days of, you know, the 70s and the, and the 80s and Tunch and Wolf and, and obviously into the 90s, you know, the Kevin Green and, and Rod Woodson days, if you will. I think that's a fair call by you, Crowley. Um, look around the, the National Football League. I mean, even a lot of the other units that we think are very talented, you know, top five defensive units in the league. Okay, let's forget the Niners because they played the Giants and the Jets the last two weeks, but they got carved up by Kyler Murray week one. Um, yeah. Like, Baltimore, the Baltimore's been tough. Bills, that's a great one. They, they give up all kinds of points to Miami. They give up all kinds of points to the Rams. Yeah. Same thing with Tennessee. Uh, New England goes into Seattle and gives up a bunch of points, which, you know, is going to happen, but... It's the same way it's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. Nothing you said to start with the preamble there, Wes, was wrong. Like, there are things that the Steelers' defense needs to improve upon, but it's just funny because you look at the scope of the league, globally speaking, as Mike Tomlin <laughs> would say, and, you know, they they compare favorably. And people are going to say, yeah, they played Jeff Driscoll last week. They sure did. Did you see his throw to Melvin Gordon over the head of Vince Williams? <laughs> like, I, I, there's not a quarterback in football that's making a prettier throw than that. Like He played well, and it's not just because the Steelers' defense didn't play well. The defense is also going to get better, too. Uh, I, I think anybody who's worried, they can be worried because they've been inconsistent. But I still think if we thought they were going to be good coming in, and we did because of what they did last year, I don't think anything we've seen so far should make you go, oh, boy, they're going to be bad. I mean, they gave up 51 yards in the second half to Deshaun Watson, for goodness sake. That's a that's a good cast yes. of receivers, too. So for them to put the clamps down, to take the punch in the face, and then to respond, I think you got to be encouraged by that, too. Let's talk about the secondary. Uh, because I think what you just alluded to there is kind of a perfect encapsulation of the Sunday that the Steelers' secondary had. And maybe this, too, Adam is like the whole kind of grain of salt conversation like you're talking about from my, from my preamble there, as, as you nicely put it. Um, maybe they were just so good last year that that standard is, is unrealistic to expect yeah. every single week, week in and week out. Um, you know, Steven Nelson has, hasn't been the just the absolute lock, lockdown corner that he was last year. Joe Hayden, uh, you know, he, I think he kind of is what he is at this point. He, he is one of the better defensive backs in the National Football League. I, I don't think he, he certainly was at one time. I don't think he's a, a top five corner in the NFL anymore, mm-hmm. but he is certainly capable. He's certainly one of the best handful of corners in the NFL. Uh, we all know what Minka Fitzpatrick was able to do, right? Seven turnovers in his first seven games in the black and gold. But again, all those things considered, like I said, in the second half, I mean, you, you alluded to it. They shut down Deshaun Watson. That Mike Hilton turnover was what kind of flipped the game in the Steelers' favor. That was the crucial moment, I think, of the game there. How you, uh, you heat-check in the Steelers? <laughs> Maybe that, yeah, that's a, that works. How you heat-check in the Steelers' secondary at this point? I thought coming into the year that there might be some Steve Nelson regression because it's hard to play better than he did last year. I mean, if you look analytically speaking, I mean, he was right up there with anybody in terms of the yards he allowed, and he didn't give up a touchdown. Pro football focus salivated over him, and I think for good reason. He just wasn't challenged all that much because he was that locked down. Flip to the other side, Joe Hayden had a handful of interceptions because he was challenged, and we saw Joe Hayden get an interception last week so I think it was fair to say Steve Nelson was going to take a step back but could still be good and Joe Hayden 
at some point he's going to slow down. I don't know if he's there yet. I think the first couple of games the Steelers put their defensive backs on islands and that's what caused them to have the problems that they did and Joe Hayden to get burned a couple of times when he did. Um, but again, yesterday they were bad in the first F because I think largely the rush wasn't good enough and you saw Watson be able to evade it and then you're just not going to be able to cover for that long in the back end. Um, but I think the arrow was pointed up at, based on what they did in the second half and whether or not they were to struggle in the beginning portion of this game, I still look at the Steelers' secondary as one that's formidable. Um, still waiting on Minka Fitzpatrick to make a play, um, but he's not going to have an interception every week. So I would expect him to get into the fray here, and I haven't been all that upset with Terrell Edmonds. Honestly, I know Steelers fans like to kill him. I don't think he's been that bad through three games. Uh, they're going to be okay back there. It's been a mixed bag, but they're going to be okay. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's another one of, you know, the as I evaluate it now, th- there's been there's been a lot of good, there's certainly been some concern, but I think again, I'll go back to what you said when we opened the show. If this is their floor, you know, if they can stay healthy and this is their floor, uh, they get better from here. I think you got to feel really good about them going forward and and we always we know, like I said, they they're going to make big plays. They're going to have splash uh when the time comes. Splash. Splash. Uh Crowd man, most of our listeners know this. Most of our loyal listeners here on on uh, the Steelers Blitz know this. I think you know this too. But just to peel back the curtain real quick, right? Like I'm a handwritten notes guy. I've got our, I got my show prep sheet here written down on a notebook. During the Steelers games, I write down you know like little game notes throughout the game. You know, I break it down into quarters. I'm a write notes guy because I feel like I remember things better when I write them down as opposing to typing them. It's just it's just a weird mm-hmm. thing. So I'm looking at my notes here from the game yesterday. End of the second quarter, so at halftime, the last thing that I wrote before halftime was Stephon Tewitt has been entirely too quiet this game and for most of this season. The first thing I wrote in the third quarter was, is Stephon Tewitt back with a question mark? What do you make of uh, him and Cam Hayward through these first three games? Uh, on the stat sheet, they I don't think they've obviously popped like we would like to see them, um, you know, with sacks, with tackles for losses, with QB hits. But I do think maybe along the same lines as the secondary, there also has been plays there. There's also been moments there to be encouraged that, okay, they're, they're starting to get rolling here. Yeah, yesterday Cam Hayward was getting doubled the entire time. He was. And that happens to him a lot. But they're not great on the interior with their offensive line, their tackles or their strength in Houston. So they knew, okay, if we're going to contain this guy – we're going to have to hammer him with a couple of dudes. And Stefan Tewitt, I thought, finally paid or may earned that paycheck, if you will, <laughs> uh, in the second half of that game. Four tackles, one sack, one tackle for loss, and then the big number, four quarterback hits. I thought Tewitt was as good in the second half of yesterday's game as he was in the first six games of last year. Uh, I haven't thought that thus far. People give Ben the benefit of the doubt, right? Well, he's rusty. It's going to take a while to get back on track. Well, it's the same thing with Tewitt. Tewitt missed 10 games last season. I think he was really good for the most part yesterday. I think Cam Hayward's been okay this year. Um, He hasn't popped on the stat sheet, but has been still showing up doing Cam Hayward things. Tyson Alualu in the middle has actually maybe been their best player on the defensive line. Uh, those guys will be fine, and I think Tewitt showed yesterday what he can be, and his problem in the past has been health, not ability. He just needs to get into a little bit of a rhythm because he's going to be rusty just like Ben. He's there now. 
uh, I think you'll start to see him flash going forward, and he'll have an opportunity next week against Tennessee because they like to run the ball between the tackles. Yes, they do. Oh, man. Now you got me. Th- Ooh, the Titans. Ooh, yeah, well, listen, it's Monday, crowd man, all right? So don't be talking about the next opponent just yet, all right? We got, uh, another, we got another day or two here before we got to turn the page. <laughs> he is Adam Crowley. I'm Wesley Euler. He's kind enough to fill in uh, for Arthur Motes today. Get those tweets in. We've got a bunch here that we will get to in the second hour of the show, at Wesley Euler, at underscore Adam Crowley. On the other side here, we spent some time there discussing the defense uh, how about the offensive line? DeCastro back. Great job by Chooks against J.J. Watt. And uh, we finally, we've been clamoring for it for three weeks now, we finally saw the debut of Anthony McFarland, and there was a lot there to be excited about. We'll discuss that on the other side. You're listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. It's the danger zone for the Houston Texans, 0-3. And uh, creeping towards obscurity. The Minnesota Vikings, too. You know what? That might be something we have to discuss in the second hour of the show when we go around the league a little bit. Who's the better 0-3 team right now, crowd, man? The Texans are the – you know what? Right now, Texans or Vikings. If they play on Sunday, who wins? Texans by a dozen or so. You think so? I think the Vikings are really, really bad. And and I thought that coming into the year that they were going to take a big step back in – they just have not been impressive on offense at all. On the defense, it's not the same. I, I don't think they're a very good football team at all. Yeah, I'm with you. They certainly have not looked through the first three weeks of the season, that's for sure. It's, it's you know, one thing, week two, okay, maybe you can excuse it. Eh, or week one, okay, maybe week two, and eh, week three now. Ooh, for a team that has, at least on paper, that much talent. Not so good, in my Houston, friend. Houston, meanwhile, has played the three best teams in the AFC. Arguably. I mean, they just right. got screwed by the schedule. <laughs> and gods. wait, hold on. I just said if Houston and the Vikings were playing on Sunday, I'm almost positive they are playing this Sunday, actually. Stop it. If they are, that's hilarious. I, you know what? Because I feel like when we talked about how tough the Texans' schedule was at the beginning of the season, I remember saying, and they have the Vikings week four. Oh, hold on. Let me look at this. I think that Texans, Texans Vikings, Sunday, October 4th, 1 o'clock in Houston. Oh. Wow. No need to leave no. that one to the imagination, no folks. Need. We'll get to see six losses on the field battling each other on Sunday. No need for the hypothetical, baby. That one's going to play out on Sunday. Oh, I can't Whoa. wait. I can't wait. Trevor Lawrence should just pack his bag. Well, not really, because if the Texans <laughs> lose, the Texans could go 0-16. There's no way they're taking Trevor Lawrence. Adam Crowley on uh, the show today for Arthur Motes, the first hour of the Steelers Blitz here on SNR. Uh, speaking of danger zone, Adam Crowley, I tell you what, the Steelers suddenly look like they have a pretty dangerous backfield, I think particularly if they can continue to uh, to get more and more from Anthony McFarland here going forward. Yeah, we've been praying every night before we go to sleep on our hands <laughs> and our knees, can Mike Tomlin use all the backs? And yesterday, they did. I mean, they used every single one of them. Uh, The Steelers are averaging 4.7 yards per rush and 140 rushing yards on the ground per game. 
That's huge. They were also able to seal the game running the football. Connor had a 25-yard run, then a 4-yard run, then Snell had a 4-yard run, and then that sets up an RPO on the fourth down to James Washington. So they were able to kill the final 447 by running the football. And I think one of the ways you do that is you keep your bell cow fresh. It's okay Mm. if Connor's the guy. It's fine. But the Steelers ran the ball 33 times with running backs and a wide receiver yesterday. Ben had five carries. 15 of the carries, other rushers than Connor. 18 of the carries for Connor. In the past, you might see James Connor get 26 of the carries. That's not what you need to be doing with the guy. You want him, he's good, to be healthy at the end of the year. Anthony McFarlane comes in 6 for 42. He showed the speed. He's a great change of pace. He can flat fly. Guy can scoot. I love it. Now, what I didn't love, Benny Snell late doesn't make sense to me because he fumbles. Jalen Samuels on an early third and two doesn't make sense to me because, well, he's Jalen Samuels. But they used all the guys, and to me, that's great. 5.2 yards per carry aside from Roethlisberger runs. This is my Steelers dream. (laughs) Let James Conner be the guy, but don't make him tote the rock 25 times, and I think he'll be successful, and I think it paid dividends in the fourth quarter. No, I love that by you. I I absolutely echo. I'm like a trampoline, baby. Everything you just said right there, uh, you're bouncing it off. I love it. I love uh, it. Double bounce, baby. Uh, double bounce. Easy. I mean, we don't want anybody to twist an ankle or, you know, break a collarbone here. I mean, trampoline accidents are serious. Don't let James Carter on the trampoline. <laughs> I think you nailed it. Um... Mid to high teens. I think that's the magic number for James Conner. You, you work yeah. in Benny Snell. You work in Anthony McFarlane, particularly the, what you saw from him, like you said. Nice change of pace guy. If that's kind of his starting point, you get him a little bit more involved going forward. It's Look, you said it perfectly. James Conner's good, but you, you want him to be healthy. You want him to be available, I think, particularly at the end of the season, particularly at the end of games as well, too. 15, 16, 17, 18 carries. That's the that's the sweet spot right there. I really think it is. Look, we all know that James Conner is very good. He's been a pro bowler before. He's rushed for over 1,000 yards in this league. He was a third-round pick coming off of, of cancer and a knee injury in college for a reason because he was so talented. He, at times, has been fantastic for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Again, I mean, he was a pro bowler and all that kind of crazy Lev Bell saga. Is Lev Bell going to report for training camp? Okay, but he'll be here week four. Well, okay, he has to report by week 12. Uh, Through all that, James Conner just took the rock literally and kept it moving forward. But I think we can also all agree... He's just not Zeke Elliott. He's just not Adrian Peterson. He's never going to be that guy that you can give 25 to 30 touches a game to and expect him to play 14, 15, 16 games every single year. He's not Derrick Henry in that regard. I don't I don't think I'm breaking any news here. I did not think, however, that we would ever see what we saw yesterday because that's just not Mike Tomlin's style. Uh from Willie Parker to Rashard Mendenhall to Lev Bell to now James Conner, it's always been the bell cow, right? It's always been the feature back. That's how Mike Tomlin, at least, again, in his long sample size of being the Pittsburgh Steelers head coach, has liked to do things. I'm encouraged, and I absolutely love what we saw yesterday and the, the usage of the running backs. Yeah, and the thing is, this is sort of becoming who they are right now, and I love it because... Again, it's not just about yesterday. It's not just about winning the game that you're in the middle of. 
it's about that, obviously, but it's seeing the bigger picture. And you know this. I'm a huge Mike Tomlin fan. I'm a card-carrying member of the fan club. I think he's a wonderful coach. I think he's a great leader of men. But to me, as Achilles' heel, the biggest one is that he just hands the ball to the same running back over and over and over again because, hey, that guy's good, and we need our best player to help us win the game. You need to understand that it's a full 16-game season, and if you've got a back like James Conner, I think that there is a drop-off between him and Benny Snell. And who knows if Anthony McFarlane can be a legitimate NFL 15-carry, 20-carry game running back. So I think what you want to do is you want to spread those carries out, use Connor the most because he's your best guy, but also understand that you've got other dependable backs that you can rely on. And I think that it's good for the longevity of the Pittsburgh Steelers and where they might wind up going in the playoffs. Uh, the other thing I like, Wes, is that it's almost like Cincinnati a handful of years ago where the Steelers are like, okay, we're going to run the counter trap and we're going to keep doing it. <laughs> and you can't friggin' stop it. And you had Vance McDonald also helping out. He was pulling. Uh, you saw David DeCastro pulling. Saw Matt Filer pulling the other way. Uh, they couldn't stop it. And that means that you've got a chance to have a dominant running game. I don't think they were great in game number two, but they were okay. Uh, they were really good in game number one. That's two out of three games where they've ran the ball and they've been excellent. The one area they need to get better is short yardage I think that they lack a little bit of imagination sometimes they're like okay let's run the ball between the tackles um, you don't have to do it that way uh, sometimes they're running the ball just between the guards um, you could be a little bit more creative that's the one area I'd say they need to get better but overall uh, they've run the ball better the first three games than they have really since I mean since Le'Veon Bell was here even when James Conner was a pro bowler in 2018 they still didn't run the ball all that much. I think they ran the ball for 90 yards a game. Uh, this is the best they've run the ball probably since 2014, 15, or 16. Yeah, I I concur. Uh, you talk about that longevity of success, Adam. Uh, a run game is certainly going to do that. You know what else I think will help as well, too, the Steelers to play football deep into January and hopefully into February as well, if you catch my drift. Success in the red zone. <gasps> And you know what? When the Steelers signed Eric Ebron, I think there was, not from everybody, but there were a lot of people in the fan base asking why. You know, uh, you got Vance McDonald. You've got some talent, the wide receiver. Wouldn't you rather maybe add some depth at key positions on defense? Wouldn't you rather maybe uh, add to the offensive line, you know, as some of the guys are getting older here and Ramon Foster retires? Or there were even some people clamoring to go out and, and get a bigger name running back to add to the backfield as well. When the Steelers signed Eric Ebron, the answer of why was real simple. It was two words. Red zone. Uh, in 2018, the Steelers were the best red zone scoring percentage team in the National Football League. In 2019, they were the worst. From first to worst. Now, going from worst to first is good. Going from first to worst is terrible. A big part of that was obviously because Ben Roethlisberger only played six quarters. I think a big part of that as well, too, and a lot of people might like to deny this, but Antonio Brown was deadly in the red zone, and the Steelers went to him a lot in the red zone. So a lot of factors there that why the Steelers went from best in the red zone to worst in the red zone. But regardless of where you want to pin that, you had to find a way to improve there. Eric Ebron was a big addition in that regard. I think we are starting to see that come to fruition, Crowman. Yeah, they haven't been great in the red zone the last couple of weeks, although the numbers are a little bit skewed because they – 
kneeled down on the ball the last two games right. at the end. But Ebron is a difference maker down there. Uh, the last time he played with a real quarterback, I think he had 13 touchdowns, and a lot of those coming in the red zone. Uh, we saw yesterday he goes up over defender. That's what he's capable of. I think Chase Claypool can also be a solution down there. Uh, the more comfortable they get with him. Uh, I think that the Steelers also have shown now with the RPO game, that might be something that you can use in the red zone. They're also doing a lot of unbalanced line stuff, which is something Matt Canada mm-hmm. likes. I think that helps in the red zone. I bet you when we look up at the end of the year, they're going to be a pretty good red zone team. Uh, I just think that they've got too many cards in their deck yeah. that they could put out there on the table that they're going to be so difficult to defend. Uh, they're also running the ball well. So pick your poison. I bet you when we get back there at the end of the year and you start flipping through the stats, you'll see in the red zone the Steelers are going to be, I bet you, right around the top ten. I think that's a good call by you. I do. Adam Crowley, in for Arthur Motes. Uh, Wrapping up the first hour of the show here on Twitter, at Wes Steeler, at underscore Adam Crowley, uh, where David tweets, how about the job my man Chooks did on Big Brother JJ? Dude, <laughs> I don't know if oh you God. saw. I don't know if you saw the stat that uh, another another you know good friend of the show here, another part of the the SNR family, uh, our buddy Chris Carter from DK Pittsburgh Sports and the Locked On Steelers podcast, tweeted: Since 2012, there have only been three out of 98 games played where JJ Watt didn't register a tackle for loss or a quarterback hit. Sunday became his fourth in 99 games, and a lot of that was because Chuk Okorafor played a great game for the Steelers. Crowley, it was fantastic to see. I mean, I I didn't think about J.J. Watt the entire game. You combine that job with what Chooks did with the return of David DeCastro, I'm starting to feel much better about this offensive line, certainly than I was with you know some of the injury concern, particularly after the opener uh, Monday night in New York. Yeah, I think that Chooks is proving that he belongs. He graded out really well in Pro Football Focus last week, didn't allow uh, any big plays last week, and then this week he's able to handle J.J. Watt. Uh, That is a tall ask. Uh, He didn't have to deal with Von Miller last week, but this week he does get the marquee matchup, and he nailed it. I think that the offensive line is absolutely trending in the right direction. Ben got hit a couple of times today or, or yesterday, but I think... I think that they are really trending in the direction of being a strength for this team. And I thought in the early going it was dicey, and we thought maybe that won't be the case. I think they're still deep with Dotson. Filer can move to tackle if need be. Hawkins played yesterday, and I think that their starters are good. The left tackle scares me a little bit. I thought he got victimized a couple of times. He's just starting to get up there in ages, Al Villanueva. But on the whole, I think that this is a pretty good uh, pretty good offensive line. Maybe not the strength that it was before, being a top five in the league kind of line, but I, I certainly don't think it's going to be a detriment to these Steelers. I I concur. I do. I, I, I think you're right. I think, I mean, they've just, they've gotten a little bit longer in the tooth, you know, from, from where they were in 2016, 2017, when I think they were unanimously kind of, it was like the Steelers and the Cowboys had the two elite offensive lines in the NFL, mm-hmm. and everybody else kind of fell in order. I mean, you're seeing that same thing happen to the Cowboys. Their offensive line is still very good. It's still one of the best five units in the NFL, but I don't know if it's quite as elite as it was, again, two, three, four years ago. Uh, I think you could say that same thing about the Steelers. Although, you know, you got young guys like Dotson, Chooks still on his rookie deal. You know, obviously he's out for the year, but I think we're all optimistic about Zach Banner going forward. Uh, I like that. I I think they are certainly going to be effective, certainly talented and good enough 
to get the Steelers where they are trying to go. Adam Crowley, Wesley Euler, first hour in the books here of the Steelers Blitz on SNR. Keep those tweets rolling in, at Wesley Euler, at underscore Adam Crowley. Hour number two, uh, we will look a little bit around the league. We'll do the Monday Minute when we come back here. And and just a lot to get to. I mean, just (laughs) some debacles across the National Football League, some very impressive young quarterback performances across the National Football League. We'll discuss all of that. We'll also preview Monday Night Football before we get out of here. So a lot on the table for hour number two. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR. Hewler and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. Good afternoon, Steelers Nation. How we feeling? Well, that's good. Me too. 3-0 on a victory Monday inside the Electric Factory. Wesley Euler, we got the crowd man riding shotgun for Arthur Motes today. Yins know the drill. You got about 55 more minutes here, knuckleheads, to get those tweets in. At Wesley Euler, at underscore Adam Crowley. A heavy, heavy Steelers reaction first hour with the crowd man. Uh, But we want to do a little around the league here. As we uh, as we get into our number two, we'll obviously have more Steelers discussion as well. But a lot happening across the National Football League uh, week three, as there is every Sunday in the NFL. It's why we love it so much. It's why it's such a big part. It's like a religious experience in the fall time here in this country. And one of the new things we rolled out this year, simple concept called the Monday Minute. There's a lot of games on Sunday, a lot to get to, right? So one thought about each team. Who played on Sunday? So just Sunday, right? So there's no Thursday thoughts here. Nothing about uh, the Ravens and the Chiefs tonight in here. This is one thought about each team who played on Sunday. Some good, some bad, some serious, some goofy. You ready for this, crowd man? No. Well, tough luck. Because here is the Monday Minute. The Chicago Bears, something about Nick Foles and a big Richard. The Atlanta Falcons, ah, you wore all black again because this is the week that Dan Quinn finally gets fired, right? The Los Angeles Rams, I wonder if Jalen Ramsey still thinks Josh Allen was a stupid draft pick. The Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen was not a stupid draft pick. The Washington football team, first place in the NFC least, baby. The Cleveland Browns are over 500 for the first time since 2014. Well, you might as well plan the parade. The Tennessee Titans. You want to know how to spell redemption? G-O-S-T-K-O-W-S-K-I. Goskowski. The Minnesota Vikings. (laughs) You guys think Trevor Lawrence looks good in purple? I don't know if it would really work with his hair. The Las Vegas Raiders. I mean... Guys, come on. You're a you're billion-dollar NFL team. How hard is it to get John Gruden a mask that actually fits his face? The New England Patriots. Long live Rex Burkhead. The San Francisco 49ers. Hey, congratulations. Your week from hell is over. Uh, all these injuries, your flight getting delayed, the MRI truck breaking down on the way to the Greenbrier. But your reward now is that you get to beat up on the Philadelphia Eagles next Sunday. The New York Giants. Basically the New York Jets, but just with better uniforms. The Cincinnati Bengals. Man, guys, Joe Burrow could be really good. 
but he's going to get killed if you keep asking him to throw this much behind that offensive line, particularly when you play those Pittsburgh Steelers two times going forward. The Philadelphia Eagles. Can't wait for that Jalen Hurts-Lincoln-Riley reunion tour in 2021. The Houston Texans, just three words needed. Poor Deshaun Watson. I mean, this guy. The Pittsburgh Steelers. Death, taxes, and Mike Hilton off the edge. The New York Jets, still really bad. The Indianapolis Colts, I don't know if you're any good or not, but I think you might be. The Carolina Panthers, Matt finally rules the day. The L.A. Chargers, Easton Stick. That's what I used in my high school hockey days. That's also the name of a backup quarterback I learned yesterday. The Detroit Lions, just protect Adrian Peterson at all costs, all right? That man is a treasure. The Arizona Cardinals, DeAndre Hopkins might shatter some records in that offense. I mean, dude has like 33 catches and 400 yards already. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, are, are the Bucks about to take off? Or are the Denver Broncos just that bad? The Denver Broncos, they might be just that bad. The Dallas Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott only getting 14 carries against that Seattle defense in a game like that is football malpractice. The Seattle Seahawks, just give Russell Wilson his MVP trophy now and get it over with. The Green Bay Packers, he's a bad man. And the New Orleans Saints, yo, Sean Payton, stop trying to make Taysom Hill happen. Those, or that, I should say, is your NFL Monday Minute. Adam Crowley, the number one thing, the biggest thing, non-Steelers related, around the league that stuck out to you yesterday across the NFL. Josh Allen is pretty good right now, and I said coming into the year that he was the biggest reason why I think the Steelers are the third best team in the AFC and not the Bills, but he has been really good and he's up and down still. I mean, we saw it in this game where they beat the Rams 35 to 32 that he will give, he will take away, but he's better than he has been in his NFL career. And I think it's showing itself this year. Uh, They're a tough out because they play good defense though. They didn't yesterday and they have the weapons and the pieces on offense. It all really hinges upon Josh Allen's running and throwing ability and if he can be good the way he has been these first three weeks then I think that the Buffalo Bills are a legitimate contender in the AFC and I would put them in a category with the Chiefs the Ravens and the Steelers Uh, if he reverts back to the Josh Allen of the last two years then I don't think that they're a legitimate contender so that's a storyline to keep an eye on I'll also say this people are going to want to crown them people are going to want to be really high on the Bills they also blew a 28-3 to lead before they won. <laughs> Winning's the most important thing, but if the Steelers' defense blew that kind of lead, people would, in this town, lose their minds. I'm sure in Buffalo they're all still really excited right now. It's because they haven't been there before. So I think the Bills are a team to continue to watch. I mean, see, folks, we replace Arthur Motes with Adam Crowley, and the Bills talk continues. I mean, that's what you were expecting on this Monday, just from a different radio host. No, I, I think that, I think that's. I'm I'm just I'm just making a joke, buddy. Yeah, I think sorry, that's man. certainly. I mean, the Buffalo Bills. That game was certainly one of the storylines. How would you feel about that flag that was thrown at the end of the game? Pass interference to you or no? 
horrendous. Horrendous. Absolutely I think so, horrendous. too. And, hey, you'll take it. I mean, you know, they don't ask how. You get a victory, they don't ask how. They ask how many, and you're 3-0. and But that was that's a rough way that's, to lose a game. That's never that's never a penalty. I mean, under any circumstances. If the point of emphasis is to throw a lot of flags in the secondary, that's not a penalty. So we can say that the Bills won, and they did. But the Rams probably should have won if that call is the thing in question. I mean, that was, that was horrendous. Uh, really one of the worst flags that I've seen in a long time. How about in the Steelers game? I know we're going to keep looking around the NFL, but Mike Tomlin should have won that challenge. Oh, I'm not sure that what was, they're looking that was, at. That was brutal. Like, what was that? I mean, that's just, are you looking at the monitor, or did you go over and, and wind up watching a Baker Mayfield or Bill Belichick TV commercial? Like, wh- what are you looking at there that make you go, oh, you know, keep it where it was? I, I, he was a good half a yard past, in my opinion. I never buy into these conspiracy theories, Crow Man. I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, except for I do believe the moon is made out of spare ribs. But mm-hmm. does Alberto Riveron hate Mike Tomlin? I mean, like, what is, like, Mike Tomlin, he, I, 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 don't get me wrong. I realize that his challenge percentage has been abysmal over the last couple seasons. But before Riveron took over, his challenge percentage was above 500. Now he's batting, like, not even 10%. I don't know. I, I don't know if I need to put my tinfoil hat on here, but there's something going on. Because that was, I mean, that was just so obviously a first down. I, I don't know how you can uphold that call. Me neither. And it's because Riveron hates Mike Tomlin. You heard it here first yes. from Wesley Euler. I need the con- we tin need, foil hat. We need tin foil hat conspiracy music here on the program. That's we need a little do 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 do. You know, whenever we start like throwing touch out. a wolf. <laughs> um, I also crowd man cannot get over <laughs> the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, <laughs> two weeks in a row. Like Dan Jeez. Quinn has to get fired today, right? Or or else Jeez. I mean, is 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 he a canine? Or sorry, not a canine. Is he a feline? Is he a cat? Because I mean, <laughs> how many lives does this guy have? Dude, imagine waking up every day as an Atlanta Falcons fan. Oh. I mean, the Bears, by the way, are worse than the Houston Texans. And they're 3-0, and and the Texans are 0-3. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> That's not a good football team that just beat the Falcons yesterday. With Nick Foles, obviously, I think that changes the discussion a little bit. And he just was named the starter for this upcoming week. Duh. But the Falcons are abysmal. Matt Ryan did not have his usual great game. So I think part of this is on the offense. But the defense, they blow leads all the time. They gave up 20 points in the fourth quarter. What an absolute effing disaster that is. How about the Browns? They win, oh. but the Bengals, they tie. That's a good tie for the Bengals. That's a bad tie for the Eagles. <laughs> is it a good tie for the Bengals, though? Because, I mean, does it really boost your confidence to tie that team? And aren't you kind of just trying to get the best draft pick this year anyway? I don't, I well, don't that know. way, that, that's perfect then. You get a little bit of confidence, but you also don't get the victory, <laughs> so you can maybe secure the uh, number one overall pick. Yeah, Brian tweeted us here and said, please, for the love of everything, get into the sorry Falcons and them blowing leads on, on the show. Yeah, I mean, asking you shall answer, Brian. I there there's I don't understand what the, what's going on with the Eagles. I mean, Carson Wentz obviously is a huge problem. Banged up, too. But, they're, I mean, they're so banged up. I don't, how, Crowley, explain this to me, because I was a Doug Peterson believer. And, me, you know, too. This offseason, and I know you as a radio host went through this, uh, you know, Moats and I went through this. Obviously, with the offseason, with nothing going on, you're kind of trying to create and drum up content. 
Well, so of course a lot of those in, in the radio biz and, this, and just kind of the sports media biz in general are always lists, right? Like lists are always our go-to content piece. Moats and I did top 10 coaches in the NFL one day, and I think I had Doug Peterson like fourth or fifth. Because, I mean, he, it, he's been to the playoffs three straight years. He's won a Super Bowl and won playoff games in two of those three years. He did it with the kind of the carousel between Foles and Wentz. And, and even last year, I mean, just the amount of – that team was decimated by injuries last year, and they still found a way to beat the Cowboys last week of the season and get into the playoffs. I was very high on Doug Peterson coming into this season. But explain to me, Adam Crowley, because, again, I, I worked with the Eagles flagship and for the radio network for three seasons. So I saw these things up close, and I'm, I'm obviously a little biased in that regard. How does the guy, though, Doug Peterson, that <laughs> decided to go for it on fourth down in the Super Bowl, run a trick play on fourth down in the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback against Arguably the greatest dynasty in NFL history. Arguably the greatest head coach in NFL history. You're going to run a trick play on fourth down in the Super Bowl with Nick Foles as your quarterback against the Patriots. Yet on fourth down against the Bengals with the game on the line in overtime, you're going to punt? I, where's the disc? How do you go from one extreme to that? That just makes no sense to me. And I know there's not a direct correlation between those two, but like Doug Peterson is, you know, to use a Mike Tomlin line, has never been a guy who's lived in his fears, except for it seems like he's just making his bed out of fears now. Frank Reich. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to be the guy because I, I've always liked Doug Peterson too, but uh, the returns don't look quite as good on him in recent years. And I realized that last season they dealt with so many injuries. And to get to the playoffs, it was – it was a similar type thing to what Mike Tomlin was able to do here in Pittsburgh, though they didn't lose the quarterback, ironically, and then they did in the, in the postseason. <laughs> but, you know, I think Frank Reich had a lot to do with them winning the championship back uh, when they did against the New England Patriots. And he leaves, he goes to Indianapolis. They're now sitting there at 2-1. and one. That's not to say that Doug Peterson's a bad coach. He's not a bad coach. But that was a... For a lesser coach, for a Dan Quinn, that was a fireable offense Yeah, uh, to not go for it there in, in overtime. I mean, just a disgrace from an analytic standpoint, a disgrace from a do you have any <clears throat> Gravitas. standpoint, right? There you go. Uh, testicular fortitude. <laughs> stones? Uh, you just can't have that happen. No stones. No, no stone. stones. So if I'm, if I'm an Eagles fan, my disposition's probably usually PO'd, but I'm <laughs> certainly PO'd today. <laughs> And that's a team that you can't tie. I mean, the Bengals suck. Their defense is horrendous. And Joe Burrow, like you mentioned in your in your Monday Minute, he's going to get killed. He threw the ball 44 times after he threw it 61 times. He threw it 100 times the last two weeks. And you got Joe Mixon, you just paid him $48 million. Like, something's got to give here. And it's it's not like that game was back and forth. It's not like you're trailing the entire time. I just I don't get what's going on in Cincinnati. Uh, Zach Taylor, he's going to go at some point, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I think Zach Taylor, and you know what's funny is <laughs> I said this about Adam Gase with the Jets, and I mean, I just, nobody go back and dig up this tweet, all right? Nobody find these receipts because I am wrong, Mick, wrong, wrong. But I thought Adam Gase at the time was a good hire for the Jets just because I didn't think he was a good head coach, but I thought he would do good by Sam Darnold for a couple years, and then in the long run, that would pay off, if that makes sense. Like, like you get what I'm saying there? Mm -hmm. I thought the same thing about Zach Taylor. Like, I... I don't think he's shown the chops to be an NFL coach, but he's a quarterback guy, right? If you give him a year or two with Burrow, and that makes the difference with from Burrow being a you know a B B plus quarterback to being a an A A minus quarterback, I think that's worth it. 
who knows how much credit to give to him versus Burrow from what we've seen through three weeks, but I'm with you, man. Like, Joe Burrow, so far, it's very early, and we have a rule here on Steelers Blitz Crowley, all right? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Most and I say this all the time. In the NFL and really in every sport, you never crown a guy based off of one year. And we're certainly not going to crown a guy based off of three games. But with a lot of things working against him, so far so good for Joe Burrow, but they got to keep him healthy. He can't be dropping back 50, 60 times a game and, and taking all those hits. I think Joe Burrow is going to be a really good player. Um, you can ruin a quarterback, though, if he gets hit far too often. RG3. That offensive line, yeah, it, it's horrendous. Uh, David Carr. Yeah. I, I think I think they've got weapons, duh. But one of those weapons is the running back. you got to save your future franchise, your franchise guy, and they're not doing a good job of that. And um, I think that that is malpractice. It's good to see what he can do whenever he's throwing the ball as much as he is. Um, I think he's looked good. Uh, he led the game-tying drive at the end of yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. But what what's it? What good does it do you in a year where you're going to finish woefully under 500? Also, get your franchise quarterback killed. Um, <laughs> why? Why would you? Why would like? What are you playing for? It's one thing if they think, okay, we got an outside shot to go 10 and six and make the playoffs. Okay, then by all means, do whatever you can to win. Um, but you're going to go under 500, and now you're going to get your quarterback killed. It's stupid. By the way. I'm trying to find your Adam Gase tweets to oh, retweet no. them, and that's why I'm a little bit uh, slow. Now, to be with fair to you, I'm gonna give right I'm gonna now. give you some help in this regard because, like, you know, a lot of times when you're trying to find receipts, you know, you just you like you search my name and you search Gase, you know, or something like that's that. That's exactly what I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know if I ever did that. Like, I think I might have just quote tweeted somebody who was saying this was a terrible hire, and I said, you know what? If it works out for Darnold, it's okay. So I don't know if I ever. I, I've said too much. I've already said too much. Adam Crowley. Wesley Euler, Darnold. There we go. Now I'm moving. (laughs) Wesley Euler, Adam Crowley. Keep those tweets rolling in. At Wesley Euler, at underscore Adam Crowley. Uh, We got a bunch here that we will get to shortly. Uh, We just got a tweet about the Packers-Saints game last night. I want to talk a little bit about that. And the Chicago Bears just made a big announcement as well, too. So in the next segment here, we'll finish up our Around the League thoughts. We'll get back into the Steelers and your tweets to close out the show. He's Adam Crowley. I'm Wesley Euler. You're listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. We got the crown man rocking with us on Steelers Blitz here on a Victory Monday. Adam, do you know what song this is? This is the Beatles. (laughs) It is not. No, I do not know. It's making me, it's giving me like Breakfast Club vibes though. I have known about this song for a long time. It was an 80s hit called Party All the Time. But I just found out this weekend, it's by Eddie Murphy. Yes, this is Eddie Murphy. Stop it. I swear, this is Eddie Murphy right now. No, get out of here. I'm not kidding. Party All the Time by Eddie Murphy, one of the greatest songs of the 80s. (laughs) <laughs> it was Wait, produced. This is the Eddie Murphy. This is the Eddie Murphy, produced by Rick James. So you know, I'm sure there was there was some help there. Um, oh you know. my God! Now I'm watching the video. 
Like, you know this song, right? I mean, this is a classic song. I do. I had no idea that it was Eddie Murphy. I was Saturday years old when I found out that this song was by Eddie Murphy. So I just, you know, I had to... I'm Monday days old. Holy hell. (laughs) Adam Crowley got some breaking news here uh, in NFL circles, if you will. Uh, Matt Nagy, head coach of the Chicago Bears, just moments ago... Drum roll, big shocker. Nick Foles is now the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. Uh, you ready for me to tell you how this is going to go, Crowley? Yes. Poorly. <gasps> I've seen this fish before, all right? What Nick Foles does is what he did yesterday. When there's no expectations, when his team's back against the wall, when he needs to be Superman, he Clark Kent's with, you know, and he wears the glasses too, and he's kind of handsome, out of the phone booth with his number nine jersey, and he saves the day. But if you need Nick Foles to be the everyday starter, the week-to-week, the franchise guy, it's just never worked out for him, ever. Not in Philadelphia, where they traded him before they brought him back. Uh, Didn't work out. He won a Super Bowl. What do you mean it didn't work out? Yeah, he won a Super Bowl because he had to play three games. (laughs) <laughs> then he I gets mean, the, he his gets first. The, you you know though that right. Year. He went to the Pro Bowl with the Eagles early in his career, and they let him go. They brought him back as a backup. The Jacksonville gives him that big money deal. Now the Bears bring him in. What Nick Foles did yesterday, like I said, is what Nick Foles does. If you need him to win you a game, maybe two or three games, there's not a better quarterback besides maybe Jeff Hostetler, WVU baby, who won two Super Bowls as a backup quarterback. Uh, get on that level, Nick Foles. He is amazing at that, Crowley, and what he did in Philadelphia was phenomenal. He's just not a week-by-week for what now? Uh, 13 games, 14, 13 games that he'd have to play? I I don't see this. Like, right now is the honeymoon for Nick Foles. Right now is like the, you know, if Nick Foles was a stock, now's the time to sell because it's as good as it gets right now. You're probably right about that. I think, though, that you're looking at this the wrong way, Mr. Yule. Uh Uh-oh. He's just got to be better than Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and Mitch Trubisky sucks. It's not very nice. I'm sorry. I hope he's not listening to Steelers Nation Radio. If you are, you're weird, man. <laughs> he's just got to be are, better get out than there that and guy. That's it. And, and we've seen Nick Foles be good in this league before. Yeah, you're right. A handful of games at a time, right? That's That's sort of been the M.O., but... Yeah. He threw 27 touchdowns, two picks in a 10-game sample in 2013. It's a long time ago, but he, he, he won a Super Bowl. This is a guy who can play, man. Uh, and I think all he needs to do is be better than Mitch. Uh, they're off to a 3-0 and start. You've got seven playoff teams that get in this year. Uh, they've got an opportunity here. Opportunity. And I think opportunity, Mike Sullivan. I think it would be malpractice to go with the other guy to go with Mitch Trubisky. You had to make the change, but I think you are right. He's never going to be more popular than he is right now. <laughs> this very instant. You, you are correct about that. You made me think of something when you reminded me that the bears are in fact three and O who is the uh, least impressive three and O team in your mind. Seahawks, bears, Packers, bills, Steelers, and whoever wins tonight's Ravens chiefs game. Oh, Titans as well too. Three and O pardon me. Who's the best is what you're no, asking? No, no, no. Who's the least impressive? Like, who would you put the least amount oh, of stock in? Oh, it's the Bears. It's uh, okay, because I think that would be my answer, it's too. Bears. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Bears. Uh, sorry, I was I, think, I was responding to a tweet. <laughs> I think that, like, it would surprise me if the Bears could make a wild card spot. I just, I don't think they're going to be able to keep up with the Packers long term. I don't see it. 
Aaron Rodgers. Rebecca tweeted us, Crowley. She's one of our, our original OG fans, the lit one. Rebecca uh, said, I loved watching that Steelers game, but dang, the Green Bay Saints game was like watching a clinic. And she's talking to me here, obviously. Your boy Aaron Rodgers is looking like he's back in his prime. Rebecca, I've been telling you guys for the last three weeks, he's a bad man. I... All that talk about the Cowboys, or the Cowboys, pardon me, because that might actually be happening. All that talk about the Packers falling apart this offseason, Crowley, I, to me right now, I, they're looking like the best team in the NFC, honestly. I thought that they would be good but be a regression candidate coming in because they won so many games. Yeah, 13, and, 13 and 3 year. is tough to replicate. It is, and usually if you win a bunch of one-score games, you come back down to earth the next year it's kind of like turnovers and the regression of the mean conversation that we've had in the past Mm -hmm. but the one thing that that discredits is Aaron Rodgers and LeFleur (laughs) working together (laughs) and getting better and another year in the offense and now you're just you're just better and Aaron Rodgers being motivated by love. I mean who isn't motivated by love you know what I'm talking about I I like that I'm gonna have to steal that I mean, ah, motivated you know, by the, love. The two biggest motivators mm. in life, right? Money and love. I mean, and Aaron Rodgers has got both. I think right now he and Russell Wilson are playing the quarterback position the best oh, in the ain't. NFL. You are not lying. And there's there's no doubt about that. They do look like the best team in the NFC. But let's flip over to the Saints side of things. They're now 1-2. and two. <laughs> Last week it was bad because the defense, well, come on. That, that just can't happen. Uh, even though they're opening up their new barn out there in Las Vegas, I mean, that's not a great Oakland Raiders team, as we saw, wow, yesterday. <laughs> um, but this game, to me, despite them losing, was sort of a bounce back for me. And, and that might sound weird because they lost, but they were right there with a guy who's playing quarterback on a whole different world level right now in Aaron Rodgers. I, I don't think the Saints are done, not by a long shot. Um, they're not playing their best football right now, but they've got more talent maybe even than any team in the league. Um, their roster's that good. Uh, they'll be fine, but right now today, I think I agree with you. I think it's the Packers and then the Seahawks, the two best teams today in the NFC. Yeah, I picked uh, preseason when, you know, when Moats did our, you know, again, you're a radio guy, you know, there's just certain things you have to do or else you get expelled from the radio business. You one, do. Oh, one, yeah. of the, one of them is give your predictions before the season starts, right? We do it in every sport, but particularly in football. Uh, I had the Saints beating the Packers in the NFC Championship game. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you're right. They're, they're not done. It's only three weeks into a very weird season. A lot can change going forward. One thing that they have to do, Adam, is what I said in my Monday Minute they got to stop trying to – you ever seen Mean Girls, the movie? Of course. you know, like you got to stop trying to make Fetch happen. It's never going to happen. Stop trying mm-hmm. to make Taysom Hill happen. It's never going to happen. <laughs> You've got arguably one of the best five, six, seven quarterbacks ever to play the sport. And I know he's old, and I know his arm's not quite the same, but stop trying to make Taysom Hill happen. I – you know, this is another thing that, that you know and our loyal listeners know. I'm not the biggest Sean Payton fan. Obviously, I do think he's a very good NFL coach, but I think he's got a lot of tendencies and a lot of stubborn. A, a lot. He's got a lot of, I don't know how to put best put this grammatically correct, but he's stubborn in a lot of ways. His stubbornness, I feel like, has cost the Saints at least a second Super Bowl berth. I'm not saying they would have definitely won another Super Bowl under his tenure, but at least a second berth. I think his stubbornness cost them a lot of times. 
and, and, and that was on perfect display last night. What is Taysom Hill doing? You're in the Packers' territory. You're driving. Why are you trying to run a gadget play with your backup quarterback in that situation? It makes no sense to me. And yes, as a card-carrying member, you're a card-carrying member of the Mike Tomlin fan club. I am actually, I'm not a card-carrying member. I'm the president, CEO, and uh, commissioner of the Sean Payton Haters Club. I loved to see that last night. Yeah, I don't like Sean Payton either. I don't really – the Saints used to be everyone's darlings, right, because of yes. Katrina. And, and Drew Brees is a nice guy, you know, when he's not talking about the flag. But I guess that's not something we're going to get into. Uh, Sean Payton, that organization, they complained so hard. And then they screwed the entire league last year because of the the pass interference flags. And he's 7-9 and nine, five times. Like, he's just – he he is what a lot of people think Mike Tomlin is as an underachiever. Like, Drew Brees, to me, is a better quarterback than Ben. And it doesn't mean Ben's not in the hall. It doesn't mean Ben's not a great player. But he's gotten less out of Brees than people who are anti-Tomlin yeah. say that Tomlin has gotten out of that's Ben. A, that's a great point. So, you know what? I'm with you. F off that guy. Get out of here, Sean Payton, you jabroni. <laughs> Joseph tweets here, uh, and he lives in Bears country. Little little note for you, Crow man. He said, uh, I'm pretty sure last offseason, not this one, Mitch Trubisky was spotted hanging out with Juju and Ryan Switzer here in Bears country. So he might be listening to Steelers Nation Radio. <laughs> Yo, what's up, Trubisky? How you doing? <laughs> Mitch, 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 Mitch. Yeah, I... I'm still you're you're right. I'm not ready to uh, I'm not ready to punt on the Saints. Certainly, it's only three weeks in what was a crazy offseason. They can they could certainly improve. But right now, yeah, Packers looking much better. Seahawks looking much better. Even in the face of all these injuries, the Niners still looking much better. Oh, I like the Rams too. I like the Rams. Yeah, I think, no, I think I, I'm with real. you. I, I'm with you. I well, you know, the only problem is that that division. I mean, that division might have four real teams in it. I mean, you know, from the Niners to the Seahawks to the Cardinals now, who could have easily been three and zero yesterday, they're still two and one. That's the best division in football, no? It is. I don't think that the 49ers are going to make the playoffs, though. I, I think they're too hurt, and I think that'll bear itself out. I don't, a win over the Giants to me doesn't fix things for them. Yeah, the Jets as well, too. I mean, you're just beating up on the two little brothers of the NFL. Those are the two worst teams in football, right? Yes, I, I think so. At least at this point, certainly. You know what, too? All right, last one before we go to break. I think the Broncos might be really bad. We talked about the Vikings. They might be really bad. Mm. I, I do think the two New York teams are the worst teams in the league. I still think Jacksonville will show at some point that they're not going to win any more than four, maybe five games. The Washington football team is not very talented, and they've lost some key contributors. I think the Broncos are the team that no one's talking about that could be really bad as well. Drew Locke's hurt, though, and they lost Cortland Sutton. They don't have Von Miller. But, yeah, I mean, what they've got right now, it's pretty it's pretty doggone bad. Uh, their offensive line certainly isn't any good. Their no. left tackle might be the worst. Yeah. <laughs> that, guy, that guy stinks balls, right? The, the, cupboard, he's, the, he's cupboard is, the cupboard is bare there. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of why they wanted Munchak, right, was because they had some pedigree guys on that O-line that are underperforming. If if Munchak can't fix that guy, I mean, geez, I don't, I don't know. Nobody if, can. I don't know if Jesus could save that guy. <laughs> can I make one quick point, Mister Euler? I mean, you asked me. It doesn't have to be quick, buddy. You can do whatever you want. Uh, whatever. Uh, you asked me who's the least impressive three and O team, and without question, I think both of us would agree it's the Bears. The Titans deserve some benefit of the doubt because they got to the AFC Championship game last year, and they do keep winning. But they've given up thirty points in two games. They, like the Steelers, let the Broncos hang around. Mm -hmm. 
they've got a point differential of six, and they're three and zero. Wow. <laughs> I mean, they're 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 a good football team, and the Steelers could absolutely go in there and lose that game. But I don't think that they're great, and I put them a step below Kansas City, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Buffalo. I do too. Um, at the beginning of the year. I thought that there were five, you know, and this was very big picture, right? I'm not talking elite teams, but at the beginning of the year, I said there's five teams in the AFC who could come out of the AFC, you know, win the, win the conference and, and, and compete for a Super Bowl. The Ravens and the Chiefs, obviously. Uh, the Steelers and the Bills is kind of that second tier. And then I thought the Titans mm-hmm. as well, too, uh, because how they finished last year, I do think Mike Vrabel's a good coach. You add Jadavian Clowney to an already talented defense, and they are. You're right, like going back to last year, I mean, I think they're now like 11-3, and 12-3 ever since Ryan Tannehill took over. So there, there is something tangible to that. But yes, of those five teams that I just mentioned right now, and well, except for I was going to say they're all undefeated technically. Now after tonight, one of the Ravens or the Chiefs will not be, unless they tie. Oh, they could Ooh. pull an Eagles and a Bengals and they could die. Um, I do think still that those are the five teams that could come out of the AFC uh, but I clearly would have the Titans as the fifth and at now at a, at a distance even from from the Steelers and the Bills. Yeah, I agree with that. Speaking of ties, real quick, last thing here before we go to break. Um, you know this, Adam Crowley. Our listeners know this as well. I'm a, I'm a big soccer fan. You know, I'm a big footy guy. You know, I love, I love Manchester United. I love the English Premier League. My wife gives me grief all the time about, oh, how do you watch it? How are you so into soccer? They tie all the time. There's draws. Doesn't that drive you nuts? The, uh, the grin, the look of satisfaction on my face when the Eagles tied yesterday, and I said, hey, babe, what was that about ties and soccer all the time? Oh, Crowley, that was fun. That was, that was fun. That was a good one. That was a nice little, uh, nice little dunk, if I will. <laughs> I hate to be the fan of a team that ties, and then I have to look at the record all year long, and it just oh, it irritates me. Particularly early like in the, the season, uh, right? Like when the Steelers tied the Browns early in the uh, season, then you got to look at that dash, dash, dash the whole season in the record. Oh, uh, it just it, it's it not irritates aesthetic. the ever loving hell. It's no, not it's aesthetic. Not, like, <laughs> and in two thousand and two, the Steelers went ten five and one. Whenever they lost in the divisional round to the Titans, they tied the Falcons that year. I was there. Right. Uh, and, and that's when Plexico Burris caught the ball at the one-yard line and fell sideways that's instead of right. falling into the end zone. What a jabroni. You have to look at it the whole year. <laughs> yeah, ties, no good. No good. Adam Crowley, Wesley Euler, one more segment to go. You know what that means. We will get to your tweets on the other side. So last chance to get them in at Wesley Euler, at underscore Adam Crowley. We also give cool. final thoughts on that, uh, that big AFC tilt tonight. Could the Chiefs help out the Steelers and ding the Ravens with their first loss to the Ravens? Uh, kind of emerge as the early season favorite in the AFC. Lamar versus Mahomes, the last two MVPs. A fun one tonight on Monday Night Football. All that on the table when we return. You're listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR. My grandma and your grandma were sitting by the fire. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. When you hear the Dixie Cups, that can only mean one thing. Wrapping up the show with your reaction to the Twitter.com. We go here. Randy tweets, the Steelers have that feel from the mid-2000s. Just play great defense. Run the ball and air it out when you have to. Games won't be pretty, 
but it's effective. Yeah, I, I, I do think there is some of that. Now we we obviously discussed Adam. You know that the defense is now just good defense, elite defense now is way different than it was back then. But I I do agree with that. There are certainly some elements of play great defense, control the clock, don't turn the ball over, hit the big plays when you have to. Yeah, I think that's right, and you're right about defense. Um, in the 2000s, 05, 2008 in particular, you could defend every blade of grass and you could shut teams down and shut teams out. You can't do that anymore. So I think great defense is putting the quarterback on the ground, taking the football away, making splash plays. Every time you get a sack that's a drive killer, the way I look at it, um, you need those splash plays because you're not just going to keep forcing punt after punt after punt in 2020. The rules don't allow it, and you're seeing it around the league right now. The Steelers, they're giving up almost 20 points a game, and they're fifth in the NFL in points allowed. Like That's that's the way that the league is. You give up 20 points a game on defense, you're pretty good. And I think the Steelers are, and I think that they can continue to win this way. Keith asks, what do you make of the decision to kneel in the first half with two timeouts left and 24 seconds remaining on the clock. It was the right call. Yeah, I think I when mean, you're getting because... the, when you're getting the ball back at halftime. Yep. Yeah. And and Keith adds, I was going to say. <laughs> Sorry to step on your toes there. No, you're good. I mean... Keith adds, you know, maybe you could draw a pass interference. Uh the worst outcome is an interception, which would be the same as a punt. Um yeah, no, what the if, worst what... outcome is Pick six. Uh, is Ben or Ben gets ben, hurt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, or Ben, what you know, ben drops, drops back, back and there's a fumble. And then, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bad things that can happen. There's some good things that can happen, too. Sure, but sure. 24 seconds isn't a lot of time. And if you do turn the football over in any form, the 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 Texans, I almost forgot who they played. I wanted to say <laughs> Falcons for whatever reason. The Texans, they had just scored in 50 seconds and I think on that's, their previous I, drive. I was, gonna, I was just going to go to that because I think that's part of why. I'm sure Keith's not alone in thinking that. Like, you saw the Texans score in less than a minute. Why didn't we try and do that? I think it's a little bit different with Deshaun. He, he can scramble. He can throw the ball away if nothing's there. I, I don't know if you want Ben dropping back and, and standing in the pocket and throwing Hail Marys, you know, unless it's an in-game scenario and he absolutely has to. Yeah, because if you turn the football over there, they can score in 24 seconds. They just did it in 50. So um, I, it all worked out. Steelers had the ball back at the half. Uh, I think you're looking to complain if you're upset about it. I'm not saying the tweeter is upset, but <laughs> if you are upset, uh, you're looking for you're looking a little uh, a little closer than I am at this thing. It don't fly too close to the sun, right? Brian says, you know, "Get out of the first <laughs> half." Brian says here, uh, your guys' thoughts on Anthony McFarland's first start and also hallelujah for a turnover-free game. Yeah, we talked about both of those things early on in the show. We love it. I mean, I think that we talked about how it was a sweet spot for James Conner. Um, high teens in the carries. You spell with Snell. You give more of a spin to McFarland as the year goes on. It's not necessarily running back by committee because Conner's still the clear-cut guy, but there's a nice delegation of duties there. Yes, and as far as McFarlane is concerned, uh, I know a lot of people were like, yeah, this guy, I mean, is he going to be able to do anything? I always thought he could because most teams would have drafted him higher, but they thought him to be a character concern. Mike Tomlin's son goes to Maryland. Matt Canada's tied to Maryland. He was the interim head coach and the offensive coordinator, yada, yada, yada. The list, the list goes on with the Steelers' ties to Maryland. They knew who this guy was. The player was never the question. He had 298 rushing yards against Ohio State. And we're talking about 
with a Maryland offensive line. How many times has that ever happened in the history of the Ohio State football program hmm. that someone has rushed like that? He's a good player, and he will continue to be a useful player, I would think, for the Steelers this year. I concur. Steel Nation 19 asks, uh, for you, Crow man, what happens to your buddy Zach Banner? Do the Steelers keep him regardless of injury status uh, this offseason or any chance they let him walk? I, there's always a chance, but I think this actually it doesn't work out well for Banner. I was going to say, I think he I probably wants to be back here next year. Yeah, it doesn't work out for Zach because I think he would have played played well and then he could have made a, a, a pretty penny maybe on a free agent market, mm-hmm. l- l- un, not unlike Mother Hubbard or Kelvin right, Beecham. Right, right. But, but maybe this still, works out for the Steelers. Maybe he I think still that they're do gonna, that too, just a year down the road. Right. I think they'll bring him back for the exact same contract he's got this year. Maybe if Chooks keep playing like this, maybe Chooks is your left tackle next year, and then your right tackle might still be Zach Banner. I bet you they bring him back on the cheap. Me, with an exclamation point, asks Westman and Crowman, with a respectful shout-out to Dr. Motes, which song best exemplifies the early to mid-2000s? And I don't even need to read the list because I already know what I'm going with, but it's on here, and here's the list. Hey Ya by Outkast, great song. Let's get it started by the Black Eyed Peas. I mean, just a stadium anthem. Yeah, by Usher, which is obviously the answer. And then the Aqua Teen Hunger Force theme song. It's Yeah, by Usher. Adam Crowley, you know this. I know this. Anybody who's in their late 20s, early 30s, our age group, it doesn't matter if you're at a bar, if you're at a wedding, if you're at a church function, if Yeah, by Usher comes on, the dance floor is getting packed. If you throw Yeah by Usher on, and then you throw Get Low on, oh. I mean, let me tell you what, that reminds me of the Mount Lebanon. here by Nelly. I mean, just a trifecta. Oh, boy. Let me tell you what, pre-teen or, or I guess just had turned teenager Adam Crowley used to drop it to the flow oh, listening to yeah. those songs back at the Mount Lebanon junior high teen centers they called them right before i'd go and brick basketballs <laughs> so that is very early 2000s i'm, I'm down with that sickness <laughs> that's also a popular uh early mid 2000s song down with the sickness uh Cur- curtis tweets here i've got my son to start listening to the show beginning this week so could you please give him a shout out he's a student at dixon state his name is chase so what's up chase Thanks for uh, listening to the show. And, Curtis, thanks for uh, for getting another listener plugged in here for us. Uh, scrolling through Twitter here, crowd man. Illinois, that's where Dixon State is. I mean, that's so he's probably – he's using us as a refuge to get away from all of the Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles talk that's going on there right now. <laughs> That'll do it for the tweets. Thanks for uh, to everybody who chimed in here. Uh, reaction on a Monday. Crowdman, last but not least, what do you think about tonight? How does tonight play out? Ooh. Big one. Ravens, Chiefs. Two teams enter, one team leaves undefeated, and probably at this point the clear-cut AFC favorite. I say it all the time. Transparency is the number one virtue of the Crowley show. I bet on the Kansas City Chiefs because when do you ever get Pat Mahomes as an underdog at plus 155, right, as an underdog? So I took it. I actually think, though, so this is bad betting advice. I actually think the Ravens are going to win. I just don't <laughs> know how the Chiefs defense has any answer for the Ravens offense. And while I think that we're going to see Patty Mahomes move the ball and do the things that they do on that side of the ball, 
the Ravens have a defense built to get a stop or two more. It's kind of like an arena football game to me tonight. Uh, whichever team makes the, the last stop wins, and I, I think the Ravens have a better shot at doing that than do the Chiefs. So uh, I my, put my money on the Chiefs, but my head is telling me <laughs> the Ravens, which means I'm a terrible gambler. I I kind of echo everything you just said there. Plus, I will add, I think this game means a lot more to the Ravens than the Chiefs. It's week three. Okay, the defending Super Bowl champions, who also were you know in the AFC Championship game the year before in an overtime against the Patriots and Brady, and then went back and go to the Super Bowl and have that run they went on last year. The Chiefs want to win tonight? Certainly. Obviously. Duh. But I don't think they want this as much as the Ravens do. The Ravens have heard all offseason about how last year was a fluke and Lamar's 2-0 and in the playoffs and you can't beat anybody good. I think Lamar wants to win this game. I don't know if you saw this crowd, man, but he did his pre-Monday Night Football interview with Lewis Riddick. And uh, one of the questions, I was watching this this morning, one of the questions Lewis Riddick asked uh, Lamar Jackson was, just a real simple, you know, they're just having a casual conversation. And and Lewis Riddick goes, hey, you know, I'm curious, you know, you and Patrick Mahomes, you know, two of the best young, talented quarterbacks, back-to-back MVPs, blah, 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 blah. Is there anything that Patrick does well that, that you know, that you keep an eye on? Is there anything that he does that you try and replicate in your game? Is there anything that you, you know, that you've taken from watching Patrick Mahomes over these past couple years? One word answer from Lamar Jackson. No. And he didn't look very happy to be asked that question. So I think he's a little, uh, I think Lamar's a little peeved by all the Mahomes love. I think the uh, Ravens are a little peeved by what they perceive as some disrespect. I mean, I'm with you. If you want to toss a couple shillings on it, I, I think I would still go with the underdog Chiefs because you'll just get better return. But I think this game means more to the Ravens tonight. I think they win a close one. And as you pointed out to me during break, Crowley, that's not great news for the Steelers because if the Ravens go 3-0 and tonight, right, their next three games aren't exactly the most challenging opponents. Yeah, and I don't think the Ravens are the kind of team that's going to lose to a team they're not supposed to, right? I mean, I guess they're going to be favored probably in every game that they play, so maybe I didn't say that the right way. I don't see them coughing one up to the Browns like they did last year, right? I don't right. see them stubbing their toe to a team like the Raiders, which is what we saw the Saints do. I think they're going to get got by good teams when they get got. I think they can lose to the Steelers. Tonight, if the Steelers want to win the division, is one. You desperately need to see the Baltimore Ravens lose because there's not many games on the schedule, maybe four or five of them, that you circle and say, wow, I really think the Ravens could lose this one. I agree, particularly early on. Like you said, like you told me during the break, if the Ravens win tonight, they could easily be 6-0 and when they have to see the Steelers They will here. be. Yeah. They will be 6-0. Yeah. and In a few weeks. Crowman, appreciate the time, buddy. Always a pleasure. Love catching up with you. And, uh, and thanks for, uh, for filling in here on a Monday. I appreciate it. Uh, as they say, and I love you, man. Latest on the men, Jim. <laughs> Adam Crowley, folks. If you're unfamiliar, shame on you for six weeks, but follow him on Twitter, at underscore Adam Crowley. Listen to him. ESPN Pittsburgh, 4 till 7. It's the Crowley Show. Some great football talk there with the Crowley man later on. No show tomorrow as normal on Tuesdays because it is Mike Tomlin press conference day at noon. But Tunch is off tomorrow, so I'll be in with Wolf in the morning. So you'll hear me and Craig Wolfley in the locker room 10 a.m. to noon tomorrow morning. I can't wait, Crowley man. It's been... It's been months. I mean, it's probably honestly been since last season, maybe week 16 or 17 of last season, that I've gotten on a microphone and talked football with Wolf. I'm excited for tomorrow morning. We're going to have some fun on the show. I didn't know I was allowed to talk after latest on the men, Jay, but uh, <laughs> you're going to get snogulated. <laughs> the ham hocks, brother. <laughs> so I'll talk to I'll talk to you tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. right here uh, on SNR. Catch Crowley tonight, 4 o'clock, ESPN Pittsburgh. 
As always, we'll talk to you on Wednesday. You know when to find us. High noon. And as always, on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, Steelers Nation Radio.